You are sacred and holy just the way you are. Hello and welcome to The Flame, a Unitarian Universalist faith-centered podcast providing voices and stories of hope, love, resilience, and community. Witness real conversations, ones that sometimes tackle challenging topics but in safe and brave ways. Whether you are a lifelong Unitarian Universalist, new to the faith, or this is the first time you are hearing of Unitarian Universalism, I welcome you just as you are. May the voices and perspectives that you are about to hear provide you with hope, love, support, and encouragement on your spiritual journey. This is The Flame. You are in for a treat in this episode of The Flame. Listen to this service of the Unitarian Universalist Young Adult Revival Network and the UU Mental Health Network. We sat down in community over Zoom for a virtual worship service. Collaborating between these two groups, we created a beautiful service around mental health. And I am honored to share it with you here on The Flame. So hi, my name is Jody Biggs. I am co-chair of the Yarn Worship Team. I am on the ancestral and stolen homelands of the Salagredii and Swanee Native peoples. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here with you today. I would like to ask my co-host or co-chair to introduce herself as well. Of course. My name is Camila. I use she, her pronouns, and I am on the stolen and ancestral lands of the Lenape peoples in Manhattan. So happy to be with all of you today. Absolutely. It is wonderful together, virtually or in person, we are building community and people have come. You have come, you responded to the call. So before moving any more forward this service, two things need to be acknowledged. One, Camila and I did briefly by acknowledging that we are on stolen native ancestral sacred homelands of First Nation and indigenous peoples we so often forget and take for granted the ancestors, the lands in which we inhabit and claim as our own, and don't recognize that these lands are not ours. And so I invite you to pause for a moment to remember the land on which you reside is stolen ancestral and sacred land and to research the land in which you are on. You can do so by going to land, nativeland.ca. The link is in the chat. The other piece that needs to be acknowledged today is that this service is one that is heavy. We have done our best to bring in some of the very raw, very emotional elements of mental health, but also to bring in some of the playful spirit of self-care that we do also so often forget. And with that, I thank you again for being here in this service. And at this moment, I'm going to introduce our special guest, the Reverend Barbara Myers. Barbara, welcome. We are so happy 
We are so happy to have you here with us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, honored to be here with you. Uh, my name's the Reverend Barbara Myers. My pronouns are she and her. I am a Unitarian Universalist community minister with a mental health ministry based in Fremont, California, which is on the ancestral lands of the Ohlone people. I'm the assistant director of the Life Reaching Across to Life Peer Support Mental Health Center. I'm the author of a curriculum on mental health for congregations and also of the book, Held, Showing Up for Each Other's Mental Health, published by Skinner House Books um, in July of last year. I am also the president of the board of the UU Mental Health Network. So it's really wonderful to be here today. I'll start out with some opening, singing some opening words actually. Every night and every morn, some to misery are born. Every morn and every night, some are born to sweet delight. Joy and woe are woven fine, a clothing for the soul divine. Under every grief and pine runs a joy with silk and twine. It is right, it should be so. We were made for joy and woe. And when this we rightly know, safely through the world we go. That's one of my favorite hymns. The words were from William Blake, a, a poem that he wrote in the mid 1800s called Auguries of Innocence. He is one who struggled with mental health difficulties himself and it Reading means a lot to me. I start with um, a reading from my book as an opening uh, reading to this service. Dr. Mark Riggins was a staff psychiatrist at The Village, an integrated service agency in Long Beach, California, that is renowned for its success in treating some of the most difficult psychiatric cases, often involving homelessness, schizophrenia, and substance abuse. And he says, when I asked psychiatric patients who have done well, what I did that was helpful to them, they almost always recount some moment of human connectedness. It was when you hugged me and I could tell you knew how much it pained me to have my child taken away. Or, it was when you believed in me when I couldn't believe in myself. Or it was when you lent me $5 even though I know you're not supposed to. Or it was when you drove me home from the hospital in your car even though I was smelly. Or it was when I knew you really cared and you wouldn't give up on me. In other words, it was when they were the recipient of an act of human kindness or when someone believed in them. These moments are what help in healing. And here's where the faith community comes in. People of faith are experts or they can be experts in human kindness. We can believe in people. We can see something inside of them that they aren't able to see themselves. We can give acceptance and love even when an illness is untreated or a person feels hopeless. And these may be central factors in recovery. For a chalice lighting, I want to read the words of the Reverend Kathleen McTeague. 
Into this home, we bring our hunger for awakening. We bring compassionate hearts and a will towards justice. Into this home, we bring the courage to walk on, on after hard losses. Into this home, we bring our joy and our gratitude for ordinary blessings. By our gathering, we bless this space. In its shelter, we know ourselves blessed. Thank you. For our opening hymn today, I will be teaching a few lines at a time. Please sing back in your own space and you can stay muted. The opening hymn is uh, When I Am Frightened. So I put the lyrics in the chat. There we go. So when I am frightened, will you reassure me? Can you sing back? When I'm uncertain, will you hold my hand? Will you be strong for me? Sing to me quietly. Will you share some of your stories with me? And then I think we have a video.
And now is the time for our story for all ages. This is We Are the Shepherds by Erica Hewitt. Jesus was a teacher long ago of love and compassion. When Jesus spoke to his followers, it was often about how to share more, love more, and forgive more. Jesus also talked a lot about the great unfolding mystery named love. He called it God the way that many other people do. Sometimes Jesus's followers needed help to understand his teachings, so he told stories to help them understand. We call those parables. This is one of the parables that Jesus told his followers. It's about a shepherd. A shepherd is someone who cares for sheep, who makes sure their bellies are full and they're safe from predators, because a lot of critters would hurt a sheep if they could. In the days when Jesus told this story, a shepherd wouldn't have a fancy pen or corral for her sheep. There was no fence to create a big space for her flock. Instead, she would have had to take her sheep out into the hills to fill their bellies. In this parable, the shepherd didn't just have one or four or ten sheep. She had one hundred sheep. At the beginning of each day, the shepherd took all one hundred sheep to the hills of green grass and counted to make sure that they were all there. At the end of the day, she brought them home again, counting to make sure that all 100 sheep had come home. The shepherd came home one night and counted her sheep and saw only 99 instead of 100. She counted again to make sure and then again and even though it was cold and dark and there were critters in the hills that might hurt a shepherd too, she left the 99 sheep who were safe at home and went out to find the lost sheep who was in danger. When Jesus told his parable to his followers, he was trying to tell them two things. First, that the great unfolding mystery that we call love and that some call God loves each of us so much that love will always, always go to those who are left behind or in danger. Second, we understand ourselves to be part of the great unfolding mystery called love. Most of us who are Unitarian Universalists want to be like that great unfolding mystery. We want to be love's partner and its helper. That means we are the shepherd. When everyone else is safe, we're called to notice the few who are in danger and to go out into the cold and dark to be with them. Love does not rest and wait. Love in the form of the shepherd leaves comfort behind to be a helper. Now is the time in our service that is set aside for joys and concerns. In just a moment, I will invite you to place those in the chat, both your joys and then your concerns. And I will do my best to read each one into this gathered community. And so I invite you to place in the chat any profound joy or great milestone in your life that you would like to make known to this gathered and beloved community. Joy for getting a second vaccine shot. Also sorrow for a grandmother who broke her hip this morning and needs surgery. Joy for a husband who has been able to, who has been able to see their grandchildren for the first time since vaccination 
excited for getting back into the yarn community. Another joy for a second vaccine shot on Tuesday. A concern for a wife who is having embryo implanted on Friday and may or may not take it. Our fellowship at Olympic UU in Port Angeles, Washington is hosting the Red Road, Road to DC Totem Pole Journey this Tuesday. A great honor as, a, as our state is home to many Native American tribes. Getting through Mother's Day with the help of a friend, a joy that we made a two-year mark past a suicide attempt. Such a wonderful joy to share. Taking the first steps in long time in long-term disability to help recover from PTSD I developed right before the pandemic. Again, such a joy to be a part of mental health journeys. A concern for a skid knee when they hit pretty hard running. Joy for being here now. I will pause for a moment more. Being no more in this moment. We hold all of these joys, these sorrows, these milestones and accomplishments in our hearts. And we recognize those that are too vulnerable, too precious, too raw, or too new to share in this moment. And now for our meditation, I invite our tech team to bring that forward. Thank you for your witness. Meditation on Broken Hearts by Thomas Rhodes. Let us enter into a time of meditation, contemplation, and prayer. Feel the earth beneath you now as it supports you. Feel the love of this community as it surrounds and enfolds you. Feel the breath, your breath, as it flows in and out of your body. Listen to your heartbeat. Listen to your heart. And how is it with your heart? Does your heart feel whole, shielded by intellect, cocooned by reason, closed to feeling? Or is it broken, fragile to the touch, Brimming with pain or loss? Has your heart been broken and healed so many times that it now lies open to the world? Knowing that true growth comes not without pain, that tears may well down barriers, that we may carry our hearts that we may carry the hearts of others, even when our own is too heavy for us to bear. None of us, not one, has an unblemished heart. For such perfection can only be found in death. And we 
who are alive still have so much hope to heal. So let us give thanks. Let us give thanks for the broken places in our hearts and in our lives. For it is only through such brokenness that we may truly touch one another. And only through touching one another that the world may be healed. Let us give thanks for the brokenness that we share. Hello, um, this is Barbara and we're talking now this service about mental health as because it's mental health month and I'm greatly honored to be part of this pre presentation of the Young Adult Network. I'll give you a little bit about my own story. That pic that's a picture of me in 1978 with my then 10-day-old daughter, Carol. Uh, not too long after that picture was taken, I suffered a very severe postpartum depression. I was uh, suicidal and I was hospitalized because it was a dangerous situation. It was a shattering experience for me to be hospitalized. I didn't wanna be anything like those people who were in the hospital with me. I felt like I was a damaged human being and even though I was one of the lucky ones who was helped with psychotherapy and uh, drug therapy, and I was able to go back to my job. And at, at that point, I was a software engineer. I was working for IBM. Um, I, but I felt I was very unhappy with myself. I felt like I was da a damaged human being. And I continued like this for eight years, actually. <laughs> Uh, when my daughter was eight years old, I finally said to myself, I don't want to live my life like this anymore, thinking of myself in such a negative way. And I went back to my, my therapist, a psychiatrist who had taken care of me in the hospital. And I told him I really wanted to get into an intense period of examination of my life and try to understand what it was that was wrong. And I'm willing to make any changes in my life that that would lead me to a type of life that wasn't so terribly unhappy. And so I entered into this and he was, you know, uh, excellent psychotherapist and, you know, challenged me when I needed to be challenged and that kind of thing. One of the things he asked me at one point was, what are you doing for yourself spiritually? And I said, nothing, because at that time I wasn't doing anything. And he said, well, would you like to learn how to meditate? And the first thing that entered my mind when he said that was, what, sit around and do nothing? How is that going to help anything? But I had promised myself that I would do whatever he suggested because I was so uh, determined to make a change in my life. So he gave me a book on meditation. And I went home and I sat down. Uh, sometimes for five minutes, sometimes for 10 minutes or more. And um, after, it was literally the only time that I wasn't rushing from one thing to another. 
And after about two or three weeks, I went back to see him and I told him, I don't know where it came from, but I'm happy. And I'll never forget what he said. He pointed at me and he said, it came from you. And that was such a revelation to me. It was like my head was, the whole way of looking at things was different from that moment. I, I realized he's true. There is something sacred and precious that's within me and that's within each human being. And that that's where happiness comes from. And um, I had a spiritual experience as a result of this uh, rebirth and that, or, or this change in my way of looking at things. In fact, I was hospitalized again and put back in the psychiatric ward because I was doing strange things. And, um, but this time it was totally different. All of the other patients were all God's children like me. And it was our sort of a, I can count this as being a rebirth um, and a way of eventually finding my life's purpose and changing my career. <laughs> I went, I retired from uh, IBM and went to seminary and became a minister. And my ministry, I was determined was going to focus on mental health issues. So I need the next, uh, here we go. So one of the things that I tell congregations within my ministry is what they can do that's important um, in helping other people. And one of the first things that people need to have, and in fact, Dr. Mark Riggins, the, the person I, I gave that story about earlier said that the first step in recovery is hope. That's when you have some idea that maybe it's possible for you to get better. And we may need to hold that hope for someone else if they don't see it. I'll tell you a story. This, this is from the first time I was hospitalized. Uh, I was, my doctor said he could help me and I thought he just tells all that to everyone. And my family thought that hopeful that I was going to get better. And I said, they're better off without me. And another patient came into my office, my, my office, my, my room. And she sat down and said, I came here three weeks ago and I was really very ill. And I feel so much better now that doctors really helped me and I'm ready to go home. And I want you to know that you can get better too. And that was the first time that I thought maybe there's hope for me with the beginning of my recovery. One of the things that I've learned and as a minister is how important presence is. Presence is a sacred gift. What it is, is active listening to someone, listening to someone without judgment validating their feelings, even if you don't agree with what they're saying, validating the fact that they're having feelings and not giving them advice, just being there, being a presence. When I was uh, on my way to being a um, minister, I was in a internship in a congregation and there was a woman who I had met, um, and I was only there for a couple of weeks, and I had met this one woman, I knew she was having some really serious anxiety problems. And she came up to me one Sunday, uh, where people were bustling around before the service, ready, getting ready, and she was frantic. I'm so anxious, I'm so anxious, can you please help me? And I was thinking, oh my gosh, what can I do? And so I suggested, that she and I go into another room. So we went into a room where there was no one else. It was the library. And I closed the door and I sat down and I was holding her hand and I was thinking, what can I possibly do? You know, I can't think of anything to tell her. I'm just, you know, I'm gonna fail as a minister if I can't think of anything to tell her to do. And so we sat there silently with me thinking those thoughts. And after a couple of minutes, she turned to me and she said, 
I feel so much better just being here with you. Ah, what a lesson for me. It was my human presence that made a difference. It was my sitting there and caring for her and wanting to be with her. That's what made a difference in her life. And I, I just want you to know that your presence, your human presence, even if you don't say anything, and even if you're just there for somebody, is a precious sacred gift that you can give. I'll tell you another story that, you know, many times I've talked to congregations and a lot of times I tell my own story, not because it's so incredibly special, but because I know that it makes it safe for other people to uh, be able to um, admit it to themselves or admit it to their family members or whatever. And what I do at the end of the service is ask people to rise in body or spirit if they or a loved one of theirs is living with a mental health problem. And every time I've done this, and this is many times now, uh, somewhere around 80 to 100% of the people will stand up. And they all look around and can't believe how many people are standing up. This is the biggest stigma buster of mental health problems that I have discovered. And we're gonna try a little version of that in a couple of minutes here with the group that's gathered here and um, a Zoom level version of this. Um, this is a picture of the book that came out from Skinner House Books uh, last year that I wrote, held. It has a study guide that's included uh, so that it can be used for for a group read in, in a congregation. And in fact, I'm, that's what my fondest wish is, that that's what people would well do with it, with the book. And um, I was greatly honored to be asked to write the book and I hope that you find it uh, helpful. So now we're going to put up a poll. Roddy's gonna put up a poll. Mina, you can let me know when you have voted. Okay, I think just about everyone has responded. Uh, so you can see the answers here. Uh, looks like Seven people live with a difficulty. Some have a loved one. Some have both their self, them, they and their loved one live with it. And 7% no. That's very typical of the kind of things that I see. So most of the people that you see in church are there um, suffering, many of them suffering silently. So um, you just know that whatever you do to, to be kind and, and uh, caring of other people is going to be helping everybody. So thank you so much. again. So I'm going to share a short story of when I was a junior high youth group advisor. So we used to do this activity where we would, you know, get a book, find a quote in the book, you know, like a nice, a nice sized quote and sit there and the junior high youth group would listen to the quote and take it in. 
and we would invite reflections from the group. So at this time in my life, um, I was working at a job that I, I loved and I just kept feeling like something was missing like that. Something is missing feeling. I was, I was having that. And I was like working hard, striving for my happiness. And like, I don't know, I just kept being like disappointed, like constantly disappointed and mostly disappointed that I wasn't feeling happy all the time. Like it was supposed to be constant because I was working hard to have it. So why wasn't I having it? So putting that aside in the youth group, we read a quote about striving and grinding to achieve happiness. And so I interpreted the quote like work hard, you know, work hard and so then you will achieve happiness. And so I was like, okay, like maybe I need to like rethink my goals cause I'm working hard, but like, it's not there. So like, maybe I need to like shift something about myself that I'm doing and, and yeah, my mind was just racing. So anyway, we opened the floor for discussion and I'm glad I was an advisor in this moment because it allowed me to lean back and lead out of the space and let the youth take over the space and speak. And, you know, a few youth said some things that were kind of similar to what I was thinking and, you know, trying to achieve happiness. And then there was this one young person who was usually shy to speak up. And this person says, well, the thing about happiness is that it's an emotion. So it changes. So it's an emotion and it's supposed to flow and change. So you can work hard for happiness, but it can come and go. I needed to hear that in that moment. I knew that I needed to push myself and work hard and things like this, but realizing that happiness was an emotion and hearing that perspective was something that just, it was such a relief. You know, I just knew and needed to recognize that things were going to flow. And also that I didn't need to bottle up my disappointment because it was like eating away at me because I had all the things in line. So I was supposed to be happy so I could project happiness, even if I wasn't feeling it. And like that moment in that space just allowed a release just to see what was happening and take in what was happening with myself. So anyway, I mean, really there's much more of course to my story and mental health and all of this but i did want to take a moment to just share that element of the story in case that was what someone needed to hear and i want to invite you we'll have the reflection music in a moment but if you would like to if anyone has had a moment um in their you know, that they had a youth group advisor or something of that memory of like the, the young perspective that just ended up blowing your mind. You can feel free to write that in the chat. Thank you for listening. I have tried to forget much of my adolescence as I did not always have the ideal childhood. Many events of my childhood 
had lasting impacts on my mental, physical, and emotional states, creating traumatic lived experiences that to this day, I am still in counseling, trying to put the broken, the hurt, and the missing pieces back together. Because of many of the events of my adolescent years, it has been challenging for me to make friends, to trust people, or to display my emotions in healthy ways. I have had a hard time understanding why I do things the way I do or why I think about things the way I do. It has only been in the last few years as a young adult that things have really began to make sense and I am learning who I am. Something that under the ideal conditions is what adolescence and childhood are all about. All of this to say that if I could go back and relive my childhood years and things be different, that I wouldn't. I wouldn't because I have grown into the person I am today because of my childhood. And for the most part, I am happy with who I am today. The rest will take time, but I have my whole life ahead of me to learn how to love myself and who I am. And I'm in no real hurry to do so. Growing up a mixed race queer kid in the South in a upper middle class adopted family, I was often very aware of my minority group status at family gatherings. I always knew that I was adopted. So that was never the issue like it was with some who are adopted and find out later in life. I also was never treated differently by my family because of being adopted. I was, however, treated differently by some members of my family after coming out. But at the end of the day, I knew they still loved me. My minority group status challenges were always my own self-awareness and social groups awareness that I was different from those around me. For years, this self-awareness and social awareness placed and created emotional and mental impacts on me. I remember trying to conform to whiteness. I also remember trying to, being, trying to be okay with being gay and to move on with my life despite the bullying I was facing. As I have gotten older, I have learned more about what it means to be mixed race and have learned to embrace my mixed race identities. I have also become more comfortable in my queerness. Still, it has not been easy as I have had to unlearn many of my childhood socially constructed white heteronormative norms. As I strive to embrace this queer mixed race person that I am and always have been, at 28 years old, having faced adversity after adversity at what seems like every tone, I must say that it feels good to be where I am today in my journey. I started my academic life being told at a young age that I had learning disabilities, dyslexia, and a slight speech impediment when it came to R and L sounds. I was told that going to a university might not be the suitable option for me because of my learning disabilities. And that if I did, I might fail. I was led to believe that I might never graduate high school, let alone hold both an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree with plans on starting my master's of divinity this fall. If you had told me 10 years ago that I would be where I am today, 
that I would be the person I am today, I would have most likely looked at you and laughed in your face. For I had given up. I believed the lies that I had been told all my life. And I thought that I was not good enough, that I was not good enough for being on this planet, that I was not good enough to have a faith community that loved me, that I was not good enough for college. And the list goes on and on. I believed the lies that I had been told. I was worn down from bullying, mental and physical abuse, and had reached a point where I didn't even know who I was anymore. And honestly, I didn't even care to know. Yes, I knew that I was queer. I knew that I was an activist, a model, and an actor. An actor. That is what I was best at. Every day I acted as if I knew what I was doing in my life, in my class work, in my advocacy work. I acted like I knew who I was. And honestly, I was pretty good at it. The acting that is, if I do say so myself. For the truth of the matter is, that most of the time I had a minimal to no idea what I was doing, at least in the beginning. Over the years, my acting paid off as I became good at what I was doing. I began to understand the world around me. I began to learn about who I was as a person and how I fit into this world. Over the years, mostly since 2017, and having found a faith that loves, nurtures, and supports me in a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, I have learned of and found my worth and dignity. I have grounded myself in a foundation and a faith that I can be proud of. I have found a place I belong and a calling for my life. I know who I am and what it is that I am meant to do with my life. I am to be a Unitarian Universalist minister who is not afraid to say what needs to be said, who is not afraid to welcome the stranger among us. I am to bear profound and pathetic witness to all, for all, who exist and have been pushed to the margins as I serve the divine with love, grace, and humility. Thank you. are full of wonder and our time is very brief the death of one among us fills us all with pain and grief but as we live so shall we die and when our lives are done the memories we shared with friends they will linger on and on and we strength of love and we have found a place to be together we have the right to grow we have the gift to believe that peace within our living is an answer we seek elusive answers to the questions of this life. We seek to put an end to all the waste of human strife. We search for truth, equality, and blessed peace of mind. 
And then we come together here to make sense of what we find. And we believe in life and in the strength of love. And we have found a joy being together. And in our search for peace, maybe we'll finally see even to question truly is an answer. Friends, thank you for being you. Thank you for being in this service. In a moment after our benediction and post-loop, there will be opportunity to join in community breakout rooms, to share your thoughts and your reflections, and to hold one another in love. For our benediction, I leave you with words that I wrote the first time I gave a service on mental health because I couldn't find the words to do what was in my heart justice. And so I leave you with this, the pathway to healing. Friends, beloveds, thank you for your witness to all that exists on the margins. Thank you for your service and your commitment to hold yourselves and one another in great and steadfast love. Moving forward from this space, may we continue to nourish spiritual growth. May we continue to travel along a winding pathway to healing from whatever brokenness we individually and collectively hold, knowing that we do not journey this path alone. Blessed be Ashe and Amen. Thank you all again so much for being in this service. I recognize we never extinguished our flame. So now it is done, but may its light continue on in your heart and in the hearts of those you love forever and ever. Amen and blessed be. The breakout rooms are now open. So if you have the latest version of Zoom, you will be able to place yourself in one of those rooms. If you are not able to or need assistance,
please do let one of us know and we will be more than happy to place you in one. Give me just a second, James, and I will get you into room number five. Carol, I'm going to put you in room number five as well. Hi, Roddy. Good job today. Thank I'm going to go into that room five, too. All right. Wonderful. Yes, and you are more than welcome head into one of the rooms or if you need to head out you can do that as well uh, yeah i think i'll probably head out now right, uh, great service. great. thank you so much thanks